This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, we talk to the lead guitar wizard from Britney Fox, Michael Kelly Smith. We revisit the classic Britney Fox albums with Michael, and we talk the potential of a Britney Fox reunion. It's a fun one. Check it out. Well, Michael, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast, sir. It's an honor to be talking with you. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, hey, man, things have been kind of quiet with you over the past few years. Tell everybody why you're kind of back out there and uh, what's going on with Michael Kelly Smith. Okay, well, um, yeah, I did. I was laying low for quite a while. Um, had other interests and other things going on. Well, been teaching guitar forever, so I uh, picked that up again after uh, all the uh, Britney Fox gigs did not pan out, you know, through the 2000s. So, yeah, started teaching again full-time. Uh, my wife and I have rescued thoroughbred horses, so we, that keeps us pretty busy as well, taking care of them and two dogs and basically living on a farm. Yeah, I've been doing that and writing a lot and recently actually have been considering, you know, getting the original lineup back together to do some shows this year since this year is actually the 35th anniversary of the release of our first album. That's pretty unbelievable that that's 35 years ago, man. That, that definitely makes you know makes me realize that time has really flown. Yeah, it really has, and, and that's the crazy thing. I know Dean was interested in doing something for the 25th anniversary, which would have been 10 years ago, and that didn't pan out for you know whatever reason. So you know, I kind of have been thinking recently, and still you know to a lot of. Uh, request and people saying, you know, you guys really, if you're going to do this, you know, you can't wait forever. So I decided, yeah, this would be a good year to try to do a few shows and, and maybe, you know, ultimately even do a new album. Awesome, man. So you were on a podcast last month and you kind of threw this out there that it could happen. You getting any closer? Are you making progress with this mission that you're on for a reunion? I would have to say yes. Um, I would say it's a better chance of it happening now than, than it has ever been. Yeah, I think it's looking good. Lots of things to uh, you know work through, uh, logistics, scheduling, etc. But um, yeah, it's looking pretty good. That's awesome, man. And and, and I, I've told you I'm a big fan. I actually, I, I think I've talked to I talked to Billy. I talked to Johnny. I've talked to Tommy, now I've talked to you, so I feel like, you know, at least I've completed the, the Bite Down Hard era. I've got everybody. <laughs> it's like a collection. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, and Dean will be next, and then uh, that'll be the, uh, the, the whole enchilada. <laughs> that, that would be <laughs> awesome, man. So, let's go back, dude. Let's go back 35 years. What do you think when you go back and you listen to the debut? For a while, I didn't listen to it too much. Like, you know, after after we did the first two albums, and of course with Dean quitting the band in 1990, um, and then looking for a new singer, finally finding Tommy Paris, writing a whole new album. And at that point, we had to start shopping for a label as well, because Columbia uh, got tired of waiting for us, basically. And um, so not only did we find a new, have to find a new singer, we also had to find a new record deal. So, yeah, our plate was full. So at that point, I wasn't too much concerned with listening to either of the first two albums. <laughs> you know, although we had to go back and, you know, once we had Tommy and started doing shows with him, you know, we did a lot of stuff from the first two albums along with the Bite Down Hard material. So that's when I kind of revisited that, you know, the first album, well, the first two albums. You know, we chose which songs we were going to do live and away we went. 
and we went out on the road and tried to support Bite Down Hard. And um, it was okay, but not great, because you have to remember it was the early 90s, and everybody knows what happened then. And then it kind of ran its course. And then in the early 2000s, uh, we were approached by Spitfire Records to do a live album and a new studio album, which we did with Tommy Paris. Again, we had great reviews on both the live album and, and Springhead Motor Shark, which was the studio album, but it didn't really make an impact because there just wasn't much of a resurgence, I guess you could say at that point, for 80s bands. Uh, fast, fast forward to now, it, you know, that has changed considerably where there's a ton of um, activity with um, lots of 80s, 80s bands coming back into the fold and trying to go back out there and, you know, play shows and a lot of bands are even, you know, doing new albums. So I thought, yeah, I thought it was time for us to maybe, you know, be involved in that that part of it. Yeah, you made a good point because if you look at just like Frontiers Records, I mean, they've got Winger, they've got Heaven's Edge, they've got, I mean, I, mean, I, I could go on forever, and they've got a lot of projects that are headed by classic artists like, you know, Robin McCauley solo stuff and guys from Sabotage. So so they really, there's so that's just one label, but there's a lot of labels out there, Michael, that, you know, focus on, you know, the 80s music. Oh, exactly. That's what I mean. The, yeah, there's been, there's been a few, you know, resurgences of 80s stuff you know, on and off over the last, you know, I guess 10, 15 years, but none that have quite made the impact, I think, as the resurgence that's happening now. Mm -hmm. There seems to really be a want for, you know, good music. And I guess the lack thereof that's happening now is what is drawing a lot of uh, younger listeners to 80s and in in a lot of cases, even 70s stuff, which is what I grew up with. And, um, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty cool. It's interesting you mentioned um, 70s because I think when I was a kid, well, first of all, I just want to say I bought this album based on the cover. <laughs> so, so when I was a kid... Hey, I, would have, I would have bought it too. Yeah, based, <laughs> I bought many albums based on the cover. Yeah. I was like, some are disappointing and some, some are really like, wow. Yeah. You know, they, they surprise you. Yeah, this one, you know, I looked at it, I go, this looks like the kind of music I'm into based on the look. And uh, I was right. You know, I brought it home and, and I loved it right away. But uh, when I go back now, Michael, when I listen to it as an adult, it, when you say 70s, it brings up a good point because when, when you look at Britney Fox from the 80s, you know, you know, it feels like glam, 80s, all that kind of stuff. But when you go back and listen, especially now, dude, I hear a lot of 70s. Like I hear like I hear old Kiss and I hear, you know, ACDC. I feel like you guys were really you know, staying true to that kind of sound. It wasn't like you were trying to be docking or trying to be rat. You were doing your own thing. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, we were not, and a lot of times it's confusing to people because since we were, you know, know, came out in the 80s, and in our case, the late 80s, everybody kind of just thought, well, we're just another 80s band. But, you know, with us and actually all of the 80s bands, they, they had to have influences from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's evident that the 70s were where those um, influences were going to come from. And in our case, yeah, I mean, we grew up with, like you said, you know, Kiss and then Aerosmith, um, Nazareth, Slade, Sweet, UFO, Zeppelin, of course. You know, all that stuff. And T-Rex, I mean, the list at Montrose. Um, the list, Thin Lizzy, the list is endless. And because that's the stuff we grew up with, and, you know, all of us, that's what the stuff we were playing when we were learning how to play. And we're, 
were in our first, you know, uh, 10 or 20 garage and cover bands. So when we got together, we had, you know, great chemistry and all those influences kind of really came through because we all were influenced by the exact same stuff from the 70s. So we, that, that was our thing, you know, you can't really help to stray far from that when those are the bands you grew up listening to and loving and going to see live and, and, um, learn how to play too, basically. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the story with that. One thing I, I love about Dean's voice, and it shines through the most in Long Way to Love, is when he, he kind of sings. It almost sounds like two different people. He's got like a he's got like a clear voice, you know, that he runs the verses, and then by the time he gets to the chorus, he's got the screech, you know. And I always loved when people did that kind of stuff because it does. It almost sounds like two singers are on that song. Yeah, well, that was the beauty of um, what he was able to do because, um, yeah, a lot of times, like Kiss, you have Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. Yeah, you know, both are quite different, but you can definitely tell who's singing. Um, with Dean, not only could he do two voice, two types of voices really well, or not that he was doing a voice, he just had those, you know, that ability to sing in a lower, cleaner register or a high, more, you know, like more of a screaming reg- register, um, you know, scratchy, you know, raspy vocal style. He was able to do both really well. And that was definitely an attribute for us because, again, it sounded like two different singers. We were like getting two for the price of one. You know, he we we used to refer to his um, low register vocal as a kind of a Paul Stanley vocal, because yep. that's kind of what he you know reminded us of a little bit. And then, of course, the higher um, raspy vocal was more of a you know Brian Johnson or a Bon Scott yep. or a Tom Kiefer type of you know raspy voice. But he was able to do both really well, so that was yeah really a plus. Uh, fast forward to fast forward to now, like you know material that we've all accumulated over the years, we probably have enough songs now for probably three albums at least. And um, it's nice to think that you know if we were to do something, you know Dean still has that talent to be able to sing in both those you know styles of vocals. You mentioned Tom Kiefer, and like I said, you've already talked about this extensively. I'm not going to get into the Cinderella stuff because we're going to talk Britney Fox. But but let's face it, there's a you know they have similar voices, like you said, they, they, that with the screeching and with the with the clearer side of it. Yeah. For you, was it important? Like you kind of wanted to be with somebody that could do that. Like you you know formed a new band. It's not like it was a singer that was completely different than Tom Kiefer. There was some similarities there. Was that deliberate? Um, no, just hap- it was really luck. I mean, yeah, that would have been what we were hoping for. I mean, Tony and I just, you know, coming out of Cinderella, you know, our hopes would have certainly have been to have a singer that could, you know, do what Dean was able to do. But, um, yeah, we lucked out because he was able to do that. So, yeah, we were thrilled. I mean, we were super fortunate to have him, you know, where around where, you know, when he was and wanting to uh, start a band. As you know, he was a drummer previous to that decided to uh, play guitar and sing and write songs. And it was um, perfect timing. You know, he needed a band. We needed a singer to start a new band. And it worked out perfectly. I mean, it was just awesome. Sometimes it's hard even, looking back, sometimes it's even hard to believe that um, that we were fortunate enough to have that happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to this day, very, uh, you know, very thrilled that it worked out as well as it did 
Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm a huge fan of. I love the debut, man, but I love Boys and Heat, and I don't know what it is, but I I love Boys and Heat. What do you think about Boys and Heat? I feel the same way. I mean, you know, I mean, as you've probably heard musicians say over and over again. I know in lots of uh, Aerosmith interviews, you, I've heard Joe Perry mention about you know the songs and how's he feel about the songs on the album, songs that didn't make the album, and he said, well, you know, songs are like your kids, you know, it's hard to like, you know, <laughs> it's hard to you know decide which ones make the album, which ones don't, but um, yeah, it's, it's a very personal thing, yeah. So I love all the albums we did, even the stuff with Tommy, of course, but um. Yeah, those first two albums have a real charm to them in that it showed the development of the band from the first album, and but we still stayed true to what we were doing. Like, And I'm not knocking bands that have done otherwise because everybody kind of you know does what they think is the right thing to do, but we really kind of kept, we stayed in our lane. Like we really kept that whole you know, just hard rock thing going and we weren't, you know, we weren't looking to change it up all that much. I mean, probably the biggest difference uh, was not the songs themselves, but the production. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boys and Heat definitely has a slicker production, yep. um, which is great. So, you know, it was an, I thought it was a nice evolution. So, yeah, I, I love that album, too. And, you know, and to this day, I go back and listen to, um, when I listen to it now, I'm like, wow, you know, like Standing in the Shadows, our cover of Hair of the Dog. Yeah. Uh, dream on i mean uh shine on uh she's so lonely i mean there was some really great stuff uh, on that album long road i mean the whole album really i'm just like you know sometimes i listen to it and i'm like wow we really kind of had our act together back then for sure yeah i almost feel like as we know we'll get into it you know the band with at least with dean and it kind of imploded during this album's run but yeah i think he needed like two more singles and i think i've always loved Angel in My Heart, I think that's such a cool commercial rock song. And then if you could have ended with Long Road with like a touring video, like a Want a Dead or Alive, you know, like a tour exactly. yeah, tour yeah. video for Long Road, man, uh, this thing probably could have went platinum easy. You know what I mean? So do you kind of oh, feel like yeah, he, it just kind of got cut short, right? I mean, just only had the two the two singles. Yeah, well, you know, Dean, Dean quitting the band when he did really kind of, you know, brought a screeching halt to the whole thing, unfortunately. But yeah, um, my feeling on it is, had we released Hair of the Dog as a single and a, and a straight up rock video, that would have put in that, probably would have put that album well over platinum easily. Because yeah. it was, a, you know, I thought we did a great cover of it and it was already a proven song. It was already a hit. Yep. Um, and going back to the first album, I feel that way about Goodbye to Jane as well. Mm. I'm, I'm looking back now, I'm like, I can't believe the label didn't have the wherewithal and how even we didn't, you know, insist that we release both Goodbye to Jane and Hair of the Dog as singles. That would have been a game changer. Like if, if I had anything to do over again, it would be that. Yeah. Yeah, you're I right. Go back and say, here's what we need to do. It would have been releasing and doing videos for both of those songs for sure. Yeah, Hair of the Dog. You know, I sometimes forget about that one, but it really is a great version, and it's honestly way better than the version that Guns N' Roses did, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I've always felt the same way, and it's funny you mention that because just recently, one of my students told me that he saw an interview with Axel, um, actually admitting the same thing, or at least stating the same sentiment that um, 
I guess someone was asking him about their version of Hair of the Dog or, you know, how what he felt about it or how it came to be that they did it or whatever. And supposedly he made the comment like, yeah, their, their version was cool, but it wasn't um, as good as the Britney Fox version, which I was shocked to have heard that. But right. I mean, you know, if that's true, that's pretty cool that he was like, yeah, you know, our version was good. The Britney Fox version was better. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think I think Dean just has a more powerful screech than Axel. You know, Axel's can go high, but it, there's not a lot of beef to it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean. That's where Dean, you know, again looking back, Dean had he had those bases covered. You know, we had the uh, musicianship end of it covered, and he had the songwriting and the singing part going, and um, it was a perfect combination. It really was. It's a shame that it ended the way it did. But that being said, you know, well, it's not too late to maybe get back on board and, you know, do some shows, um, hopefully do some new songs and, um, you know, kind of get back out there a little bit. Now, when you think of, I, I don't, maybe you probably listen to this album, I don't know, but like when he did the Black Eyed Susan album, do you think that that maybe is where Britney Fox would have went? A little bit more like the bluesier Stones type of stuff? No, not at all. No. No, that and that's the whole reason he did that because he had those types of songs, and um, he admitted to me that he had people in his ear, you know, telling yep. him, "Oh, he should do this, he should do that." Um, you know, he didn't need us, and he could, you know, you know, expand his musical horizons, so to speak. Which, you know, that's always going to happen. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, Queen, Freddie Mercury, same thing. People were in his ear saying, "You don't need these guys, whatever," and you know, you saw that story. But um, so unfortunately, he he was um, swayed by a lot of other people's opinions that had their had their own best interest, you know, at heart, and were telling him, "Hey, let's you know um, start this band or do this or do that, and you can you know ditch those guys." Mm. Well, I think it's pretty obvious it was a mistake. But yeah, no. To answer your question, no, we would not have gone down that road at all. And that's another thing with Dean. He's he's really good at what he does in that he can write, you know, songs that you know could be on a um, Black Crows album yeah. or or any. You know, he's good at kind of everything that he does, regardless of the genre that he's trying to go for. But no, we would have stayed definitely again in our lane, and we would have definitely stayed a hard rock band. Not to say that you know we might have not experimented ever so slightly. But, yeah, third Britney Fox album with Dean would not have been the Black Eyed Susan album. I guarantee you that. I mean, it would have been heavy, and it would have been a rock album, like a true rock album in the vein of, you know, what we were doing. You know, Nazareth, ACDC, whatever. You know what I mean? So, you know, yeah, that's that's the answer to that question. No, it wouldn't have been the, the uh, Black Eyed Susan album. Absolutely not. So as cool as the debut album cover is, a lot of people question the Boys and Heat cover. What do you think of the Boys and Heat cover? <laughs> we questioned it. We questioned <laughs> it as well. Yeah, we were not happy at all. In fact, just recently, I found in my collection of stuff from back then um, artwork that was done for the second album when the original title was Fuel the Fire. It was a cool, really, really cool thing where it was like a close-up of the sun and and um, the Britney Fox logo at the top, and you know, fuel the fire at the bottom. Very simplistic, but you know, really effective. And at the eleventh uh, hour, the label decided they didn't like the 
artwork or the title. So we had a meeting up at Columbia Records in New York where we were told, okay, you guys need to come up with another title and we're going to get a different artwork for the album. And we were like, seriously? And then, um, so we were not happy with the the decision at all because we were happy with the title and the artwork. The label just pulled the plug on it. And, you know, they said, well, do you have any ideas for a title? And Dean, you know, Dean just was like, oh, how about Boys in Heat? Because he actually had a band called Boys in Heat um, a while back, obviously before Britney Fox, but um, after his drumming days with World War III, somewhere in between, he had a glam band, very New York Dolls kind of thing, uh, that was called Boys in Heat, so he just blurted that out, and the label was like, yeah, that's great, that's great, and we were cringing, we were like, oh, seriously? <laughs> um, so they said, okay, well, there's your album title, and then a week later, they called us back up for a meeting and showed us what the album art was. They, had, they hired a artist to come up with an album cover art that would fit the uh, title boys in heat and what you see is what we got you know what i mean we were not happy at all <laughs> at all it's not you know it is what it is and it kind of was okay i guess if people just got used to it but yeah it was not it was not our our idea nor was it our uh you know our choice so you get to the point, Dean's out of the band, and I, I think you're kind of also getting hit with the times are changing with music. So I mean, what's your mindset around, you know, 90, 91? I mean, you, obviously you keep going, but where were you at with things? Well, you know, we were so involved in just, you know, getting getting our, you know, getting back out there and trying to, like, continue the whole Britney Fox thing. Uh, we did our best. We found Tommy, who we thought was a great singer and, great, you know, great songwriter, pulled that all together. And we knew that the uh, musical climate was changing and we couldn't do anything about it, so we just did our best. We, you know, we did that album. Released it in 91. Um, it fell through the cracks, as did anything from that genre. Yep. And, you know, that's what happened. It just did not make an impact whatsoever. But on that whole scene and what was going on then, I've heard a million times people are always, you know, have been asking and commenting that, oh, you know, it's a shame that, you know, grunge killed hair metal. And I've always disagreed with that in that I, I don't believe grunge killed hair metal. I think hair metal killed hair metal. Mm-hmm. I think they're just, it was such an overabundance of poor quality alleged glam metal or hair metal that was being signed and put out that it just ruined it for all the bands that were good from back then. And um, so, yeah, that's been my take that hair metal killed hair metal, and not because of the genre's fault of its own, but because the labels being labels, that's what they did. They, you know, were signing up everything that resembled you know, Cinderella or Britney Fox or, or whoever, you know, Bon Jovi or, you know, Rat, uh, you know, who, Poison especially, you know, I mean, there was how many, how many bands, you know, came out after Poison that were trying to be Poison. Yep. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, half of them got record deals. Some were good, some not so good. And it just got oversaturated and it pulled down the whole, the whole thing, really. Um, but I will say, as far as grunge and all that, you know, again, it didn't kill hair metal, but it certainly put the final nail in the coffin. 
You know what? It's so funny that you're saying this because honestly, this thought got into my head this morning. I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Uh, my kids are just starting to get into Nirvana, all right? <laughs> and, and I could have okay. mixed feelings about it, but they can be listened to a lot worse than Nirvana. So we're, oh, li- for sure, so yeah. we're listening to Nirvana, Michael, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is the antithesis to everything that was before it. You know what I mean? So we, when oh, I yeah. then I started to think like, okay... Let's try to think about some of the last run of the hair metal bands. And I'm not trying to knock the bands, but I'll just use, like, say, Firehouse for an example. Firehouse is a good (laughs) band, but when you think of, like, their big single, Don't Treat Me Bad, it's very bubblegum, right? So, like, a bubblegum metal song. And I think that people were kind of looking for stuff with an edge. You know what I mean? And I think that, like, right, that wasn't coming out. Right, we weren't getting that. And then eventually people just kind of get sick of it and you know the decade changes and they're looking for something different and here's nirvana like obviously when i listen to nirvana i I think to myself i don't mind it but i'm like it needs to be produced a little better (laughs) like maybe some some more vocals or vocals that are in key or whatever yeah yeah but i think that's what happens yeah you know that we lost the edge uh, it was just a lot of copycats, and then that left the door open for bands like Alice in Chains and Nirvana to come in that were doing something completely different. And as much as people, you know, uh, bag on grunge and stuff, at least it was a real musical movement. Like we haven't had one in a long time. You know what I mean? Oh no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Alice in Chains. They were one of yeah, they were one of those bands I actually really liked. So it wasn't like that. All that was horrible music. It was just different enough that it was able to you know, get take the attention away from all that 80s stuff that got just redundant and over, you know, whatever. It was oversaturated. And, um, but then the same thing happened to grunge. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, things happen in cycles that way, and that's just the way it goes. And either you're kind of, you know, you time things well by luck or, you know, happenstance, or you don't. And in our case, with Britney Fox, we just happened to catch the tail end yep. of what was, you know, a good thing, like 88, 89. I mean, had we come out in 86 or 87 or whatever, I think it would have been a whole different story. I mean, I thought, I think we would have done much better than we did, although I'm thankful for what we were able to accomplish, given the circumstances and the, and the timing. Yeah, I think we would have, yeah, we would have been a multi-platinum band I believe easily had we been, you know, two years earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you well, one thing you got to say about bite down hard is, you know, I think it obviously got bigger with age because you always hear people today say bite down hard is my favorite Britney Fox album. So you know what I mean? People got to hear it and, and kind of went back to it if they missed it in 1991. So it's got to make you feel good that you actually created something that did pick up steam over time and people really love now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. It's way more appreciated now than it was then. For one thing. Even when we were out playing in support of that album with Tommy, I was shocked and dumbfounded by how many fans were coming to the shows that were not aware that we had a new singer (laughs) and certainly were not aware that we had a new album with a new singer. I mean, because there was just very, you know, wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, push from the record company because everybody realized, you know, there was no point in trying to promote something from, you know, of that genre at that point. So we were doing the best we could, but yeah, a lot of people just weren't even aware of it, and it actually took all these years for people to go back and have rediscovered that, yes, there was a third album, yes, there was a new singer, and it was a great album. So yeah, it does make me feel good, and the same ha- same goes for the live album we did with Tommy, Long Way to Live, 
that came out in 2001, and they had great critical acclaim. I mean, people were like, wow, that, what a great live band. I mean, they're tight, they sound really good. And then um, Springhead Motor Shark. In 2003, the studio album we did with Tommy, um, you know, very exper experimental and way different from anything we had done in the past, but that was on purpose because at that point there was no, we felt there was no need to try to recapture what we had with Dean or even on Bite Down Hard that we just thought, well, let's, you know, let's go out on a limb and try to, and you know, and, and just do whatever we felt was cool at the time and material that we had and um also very proud of that album too i mean it's really different than anything we've ever done but i think it's excellent for what it is you know for as as left field as it is there's still a lot of elements of britney fox in there and everybody's playing still kind of shines through and um i think it really kind of showed a, a whole different side to what we were capable of, of doing you know songwriting wise and playing wise i mean i'm super proud of that album I mean, like, John's drumming is just off the charts. Bill's bass playing and his co-writing with Tommy on that album uh, was superb. And, um, and Tommy's vocals and his uh, piano playing and synthesizer playing. And, yeah, it was just really, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of all over the place, but it had a common thread to it at the same time. But, yeah, I could not be more proud of, of what we ended up doing with that album. Yeah, you know the cool thing uh, I gotta mention is Tommy's voice because it's it's not like Dean's, but it's it's enough like Dean's where the old material still works. You know, he still has that high kind of a screechy voice, and uh, it definitely works, but different. So well, well done with uh, you know picking him and, and what he accomplished with the band. Oh, absolutely, and that that was one of the most difficult things in finding a replacement for Dean because we knew obviously we weren't going to change the name of the band and try to just start completely over again. So we knew we needed someone that could handle the first two album material, um, albums material, and, you know, and pull that off live, but yet kind of move forward. So let me ask you this. Who owns Britney Fox? <laughs> because like, I think that's a lot what a lot of people want to know because like you're running the Facebook and you've got merch. Billy's out there. Looks like he's doing like his own version. Who who owns Britney Fox? Um, it's a sticky situation. Actually, we all do. Okay. And that's where it got a little bit ugly because since we all kind of own it, you know, it's been kind of a free for all. So like, which allowed Bill to go out and tour with a cover band and call it Britney Fox. And um, yeah, that's been a yeah, it's, a, it's been a question that's been asked over and over again about that situation and my feeling is like I understand why Bill is doing that like he wants to play and he's thinking you know he's trying to keep you know some some of the name you know something to do with the name of the band out there I get that but I'm just not keen on the fact that he's calling it Britney Fox when it's really a Britney Fox tribute band and I've said many times you know I prefer that he called it at least Billy Child's Britney Fox mm-hmm mm -hmm or the Britney Fox experience. So people would know, okay, well, it's, you know, maybe one guy from the original band, but they are playing all Britney Fox music, but they kind of know what they were, you know, paying for, you know, buying a ticket, or you know, they know what they were going to see, you know. Um, so that's my only complaint with that. I, you know, nothing against Bill whatsoever. Right. He's a great bass player. He wants to go out and play. I get all that. 
so yeah, that's my biggest complaint, and and not to dwell on it, but probably yeah, the the quality of musicianship also I don't think has been up to what it you know what I would what I would have expected it to be. Sure. As far as like going out with a you know tribute band to play all that material, I would have liked to have seen it done better. Yeah. Yeah, because you make a great point, because we, we all know about, like, Jack Russell's Great White, uh, Steve Riley's L.A. Guns, because right now, if, if you're somebody's going to go to MP, M, the MP3, yeah, M3 Festival, M3, right. <laughs> M3 Festival, you know, they see Britney Fox, they might think Dizzy, Dizzy Dean's there, or, or, or Tommy's there, they don't know, you, they don't know who's really going to be there, and they might be disappointed, you know, when they see who is there. Oh, no, I've heard it a thousand times where people thought they were at least expecting to see Tommy. Right. At least, at the very least, at least one of the original singers. Um, but that's not the case. And then, um, you know, Bill does his thing. But, you know, when you have, you know, when you're up there doing that material and it's not either of the original singers and it's uh, drummer and guitar player from who knows where. Yep. It just doesn't work. For me, it doesn't work. And a lot of people are still like, okay, it was cool. We got to hear Long Way to Love and Girls School and whatever. <laughs> right. um, you know, but again, it's it's a tribute band. It's a cover band. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, hopefully getting the original four of us together. And that'll kind of just, you know, put an end to all that nonsense anyway. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Well, man, I really hope that happens because, like I said, I've been uh, I've been waving the Britney Fox flag for a long time. Uh, like I said, I've had most of you guys on here, and uh, I'll keep uh, praising Britney Fox. And Britney Fox always comes up on all the different lists that we do on the on the channel. So, yeah, man, I I really hope this happens. So you've got me pretty excited right now. Yeah, I'm hoping too. Again, you know, scheduling, logistics, and um, you know, basically the whole and just timing of the whole thing and seeing if we can actually make this happen. Um, I have no doubt we could pull it off. There's no doubt that we can you know, have it in us to go do it and sound good and even do new material that would be right up the same alley as the first two albums. Um, yeah, that's one of the things for me, it's really exciting to think that we could actually do a new album that would have been, well, do a new album now that would have been what would have been the third album with Dean back then. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I know. I was thinking the same thing before the interview because it's almost like it, it needs a conclusion. You know what I mean? At least, you know what I mean. Um, and it, we don't really have that. At least with Dean's era of the band. No, exactly. You're right. It was kind of left as a cliffhanger. You yep. know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, what? You know, like what could have? What? What would a new album with Dean? What would that have sounded like? Yeah. And I guarantee it would have been killer. So maybe we get to do that now. And yeah, thirty some years later. But hey, better late than never. You know what, Michael? Look at uh, look at Indiana Jones, man. He's back. Kiss got back together. You know what I mean? Anything's possible, yeah. man. Anything's possible. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what I mean. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, hey, Kate Bush is popular again. That's thanks right. To, uh, Stranger Things. That's right, man. That is exactly right. Well, man, you know what? This has been awesome chatting with you about these albums, and uh, this has been great. Anything you want to say to the fans out there before we close? Uh, yeah. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for all the continued support over the years. I mean, the, it, it's just been overwhelming how many people, you know, still, you know, listen to our music. And they, a lot of people listen to it as much as they did when it came out. And also to the 
entire new group of listeners that weren't even born when that stuff came out. I mean, I have a ton of students that are, you know, in their teens and 20s that were not born when those first three albums came out and have since, you know, discovered that music and they just love the band. I mean, it's, you know, they're actually, it's like, wow, that's one of my favorite bands of the 80s. So, yeah, I just cannot, you know, emphasize how much I appreciate that people still, you know, listen to our music. Um, they're looking forward to maybe something new happening and, you know, just, you know, their continued support in the whole thing. I, I mean, since I started a new Facebook page, I've really been overwhelmed, you know, seeing how many people are out there you know, new and old fans that are just like, wow, you guys were awesome. We really like what you did, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, it's been really cool. So all I can say is, you know, thank you so much to everybody that really has always supported us and, and all the continued support. Yeah, man, this was great. I really appreciate it being able to text back and forth with you. And, uh, you know, I'll, like I said, anything you guys have going on, I'll, I'll be out there promoting it. Uh, well, you'll be the first to know for sure. <laughs> I will definitely keep you in the loop, I promise. All right, Michael. Well, hey, man, you have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks so much. Hey, Mike, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Well, that was an honor chatting with Michael. Hope you enjoyed it. Rock on!